0: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I am super excited to have Blake Root, who is a second year veterinary student at the University of Wisconsin. And he started the Tales from Vet School podcast in May. And we actually connected through a previous guest on the podcast, but wanted to really dive into what Blake's doing, what's going on, future visions, and Yeah, I think you'll find this one really, really exciting and interesting. So, with that, Blake, thanks for uh, coming on and jumping on the podcast.
1: Yeah, Isaiah, thanks so much for having me. It's been really cool that we got connected here and we're going to be able to collab on something really
0: fun. So, yeah, appreciate you having me on. For sure. And it's always good to have someone else on a podcast that's used to being on podcasts or used to recording themselves because it just makes for the conversation flow and the dynamic to be easier. And I've always noticed that if people have done a couple, it's usually pretty simple to then jump in and have a really good episode. So, appreciate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a little weird for me being on the other side of the desk, but it'll be fun to kind of have the experience that I'm sure a bunch of my
0: guests have also felt throughout this development of the podcast life. Yeah, it's easy. So I always joke with people like, you think a podcast is, it's like, man, the person that hosts that, there's a lot of work involved and stuff. It's like, well, if you think of good questions and you shut up and let the other person talk (laughs) and share their story, like, it's really them doing most of the talking. You just have to kind of understand how to pull out some information from them and, share that. But no, I'm super appreciative of the time. And I wanted to, I guess, kick it off with, again, you started the podcast in May. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration, origin story, getting the equipment, all that stuff? Just how did it start and kind of the why behind it? Yeah. So
1: it all kind of started because I don't know if you've heard about this. There is this thing. It's a global pandemic going on right now. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's kind of crazy.
0: Heard rumors.
1: (laughs) During that time, it had been a couple weeks after our semester ended and we kind of limped the end of the semester with all the online stuff going on. And I didn't really have anything to do. I was supposed to start working over at the teaching hospital, but they stopped having student workers come in because, you know, coronavirus. So I was driving for DoorDash and not really doing anything else. And I was just infinitely bored in quarantine. So I had always kind of had this idea or vision to start a podcast in the veterinary medical space particularly from the perspective of a student because i feel like it offers a inexperienced perspective that is a lot more i guess interested and a lot more constantly wanting to learn in that like state of constantly wanting to learn things as opposed to you know veterinarians who are talking about cases and talking about all this in-depth jargon stuff that a lot of students particularly those who are interested in the profession, but may not be at the point of veterinary school yet, wouldn't really understand. So I wanted to kind of give that perspective so that my target demographic is really veterinary and pre veterinary students who just kind of want to know more about the profession and get excited about the profession. So that was like kind of the main inspiration. But I also do a weekly web show on Facebook called Whose Division Is It Anyway? It's a baseball thing that I do with a couple of my college friends. So I already had all of the equipment. I had the microphone. We've been doing that for like a year and a half. So I had that equipment. I kind of know the ins and outs of how to effectively podcast and how to effectively ask questions and just talk on, (laughs) talk at a screen basically. So It all kind of came naturally. And one day in May, it was like the middle of May, I texted a couple of my friends. I was like, hey, you want to record a podcast? We'll just like talk about our first year and how that went. And they said yes. And it just kind of spiraled from there. I've been putting out mostly weekly episodes as
0: frequently as possible and had a lot of really cool guests on. It's just been a really awesome experience. Yeah, I think it just from someone that tries to put out a weekly show as well, like it's a lot of work on top of everything else you have going on. And it's definitely a labor of love. So it's not something that is taken lightly and to be consistent about it. That's what impressed me when before we talked, of course, I'm going to go check out like, oh, who have you had on? Like, what have you talked about? And yeah, awesome guests, good content, and certainly shows that are not 10, 15 minute conversations. These are certainly in-depth conversations, which is great. And I just wanted to ask kind of from your perspective as someone that's in their second year, like how's the networking benefit been for you as you start to then grow, not only your audience, but people already established in the industry getting to know who you are? I think that's kind of an interesting take on it as well.
1: Yeah, it's been really cool because I have interviewed, even you know, in the kind of fledgling beginnings of my podcast, I have gotten to interview a lot of really cool people. I got to interview Justine Lee who is the CEO and founder of VetGirl, which is the largest veterinary online CE company in America. I talked to obviously Dr. Chatfield. She's super awesome. And she's how we actually connected, which I think is really awesome that she's been really supportive. And just getting to know these people in the profession has given me a lot of perspective on what the veterinarian is. Because As a lay person who is not necessarily directly affiliated with the veterinary profession, you may think veterinarian and it's, oh, it's the person that I bring my dog to once a year to get shots and charge me this large bill, and then I go home. And they don't really see the veterinarian as anything greater than that. But when you really look at what the profession can do for you and what you can do within the profession, you can go into things like research, you can go into academia, you can go into business, there are so many different perspectives and so many different things that you can use this degree for. And I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway from this is being able to network with these people and just get ideas of like, what can you do as a veterinary and you don't have to pigeonhole yourself as the private practice primary care, puppies and kittens, even though that's really not what it is. But you don't have to pigeonhole yourself like that. There are so many things that can be done with the degree. And that's another thing that I really just want to push out to students is the degree is you can go into primary care and that's great. And that's awesome. That's a great job. But there are so many other opportunities that you can find. And I feel like as I get a larger breadth of guests, that will just continue to push that message out and allow for lots of different networking opportunities. And it can help me, it can help the audience as well because if, they hear about surgical oncology from a surgical oncologist and are all of a sudden like really interested in that, all their contact information is right there. And if they want to just reach out to them and say, Hey, I saw you on this podcast. I think that what you're doing is really awesome. Can you tell me more about it? That's a relationship that I could start without even having to really do anything. So I think that's really cool as well. Just being able to kind of provide the larger population being my audience with those kind of opportunities.
0: Yeah, the scale and who the podcast touches, you don't really know once you put it out into the wild where it's going to go and who it's going to touch and how it's going to affect people, but that's the neat benefit of it. And you talked about being able to do so many other things, and I gave a presentation recently and I just pulled up some of the numbers of total spending on veterinary care in the United States in 2020 is estimated to be $16.62 billion, and that doesn't include over-the-counter pet medication And then I always say his name wrong. So I'll just say the CEO of J.B. Holdings, which owns Compassion First and NVA, he has a really good quote that said, we are in the first 10 years of an industry that's going to keep growing for the next 50. So I think that being young in veterinary medicine, this is like the golden years for what it can be because you're at the crossroads of a huge shift of baby boomers and folks are going to retire. 40% of the private practice ownership is going to retire in the next 10 years. So if you have that aspiration and desire to be an owner, there's going to be opportunities but there's also opportunities to do a lot of other things. You talked about research and development and just going in a lot of different ways because it's the training and the way that you learn in the way that you have an understanding of problem solving as a veterinarian is really applicable to so many other things. And I think it's hard when you have this narrow skill set, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do versus, oh, I know how to learn and I know how to solve problems and I can be really good at anything else. So I think that's a great perspective for someone's in their second year to understand and see that. Like, that's so powerful. Absolutely.
1: And I think that kind of another point basing off of the problem-solving aspect is a lot of the time, the things that you are learning in vet school, when it really comes down to it, you don't really need to know in practice. Like we take immunology, we take virology, we learn all these mechanistic, very in-depth, very deeply biochemical science-y things. And as a clinician, probably 95% of vet students are never gonna think about that again as they get into practice. However, the things that they are teaching us and the way that they are presenting problems to us is getting us into that mindset of being able to think critically. And that really, as you said, is the most vital piece of this profession is being able to synthesize information and apply it to something greater and apply it to something that could save an animal's life or could find the vaccine for COVID-19 or all sorts of these other things that if you cannot critically think And if you can't synthesize this information effectively, you're just kind of going to be left out in the dust. And you could graduate with your DVM, but there's a difference between having the DVM
0: and being a good doctor. 100%. And interesting, the book that's sitting over here on the edge of my desk is called The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. And he's talking about all the technology and the innovation and how it's going to change and shape the world. And he wrote it pre-COVID and some of the things that's happened since it's like really interesting to see all the dominoes, how they've lined up and started to fall. And again, he worked in technology, seen the changes and having the ability to automate stuff into how technology is going to change our world. Being able to regurgitate information is not going to be valuable any longer. It's exactly what you just talked about. So yeah, I would just reiterate to anyone listening, regardless of where they're at in their career, like just being able to have the ability to kind of go back into the file cabinet and grab something in your mind and say, yep, that's it. Like that is valuable, but it's the way that you can solve and see things. That machines aren't going to be able to solve quite yet. And they're getting there. And that's the thing where I I go back to the golden age of veterinary medicine, because you're going to be able to pair this great skill set in the human element with technology to provide better care. And I think that's ultimately really, really exciting. So can we chat a little bit about, and I asked this question a lot, and I didn't necessarily want to kick it off there because I want to talk a little bit about the podcast, but kind of your desire to go to vet school, what initially kicked it off. I know it maybe wasn't always in the plan, but kind of was always an interest. So I'd love to walk through that with you.
1: Yeah. So my journey, I mean, it's not incredibly atypical, but I did have some interesting bumps in the road. So I was always kind of a zoo kid. That was like our thing when I was a kid is we would go to a city, you know, on vacation or whatever, and we'd go to the zoo regardless of where we were going. I and mean, I was really into that. I've always loved zoos. I went to SeaWorld camp when I was like 10. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Obviously, there's other issues with that. But beside the point, I was a long time ago. And so veterinary medicine was always in the back of my mind. There are pictures of me as a little kid with my little fake doctor kit, you know, putting the ophthalmoscope and the uh, otoscope and with the cat. And it's very cute. But as I got older and kind of actually started to think about where I want to go, you know, you get to high school, you start just thinking about, Any and everything. So I flipped from law to pharmacy to human medicine to dentistry, like every two weeks as a high schooler. (laughs) And I ultimately decided to go to Iowa State University and pursue a degree in agricultural biochemistry. It was effectively the same thing as a biochemistry degree, except the electives you took were ag electives instead of LAS electives. Otherwise, it's basically the same degree. And it's a smaller major, so our advisor would have less students to deal with. So I thought, okay, this is great. I'll be able to keep my options open. But veterinary medicine was always sitting in the back of my mind. So I go to Iowa State, loved it, had a great time. And by my second semester, I had picked up a At the time, it was a minor in animal science. So I took a few animal science classes. I took like your 100 level. I think one of them was called working with animals and the other was like intro to animal science. And I really enjoyed those classes. So I decided, hey, I could turn this into a second major. And I was working on a double major in ag biochem and animal science for the next year. And then I got to my junior year and I took my first biochem class. And I absolutely hated everything about it. (laughs) So I did a lot of introspection at that point. And actually, funny story, I was in the marching band in college, and the marching band field directly faced the biochemistry building. There were these tiny little statues on top of the biochem building. So it was very distinct. And I'm standing there rehearsing, whatever. And I'm looking at this building, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm miserable. I hate everything about this major, and I really enjoy everything about animal science. So I decided then and there to drop the biochem major entirely. I picked up an animal ecology minor, and I really set my heart on vet school at that moment. Now, a vet school was kind of always in the plans, but that was really the moment that like the switch flipped, and I decided I need to do what makes me happy as opposed to what I think other people or the greater world wants me to do. So I flipped to an animal science major, animal ecology minor, got the degree, and now I'm here.
0: Yeah. And being in the marching band, we chat a little bit about this when we first got introduced, like the time commitment on that, on top of going for a, a major that's certainly not, I would say, an easy one that you can just like show up and have success. How's that played into arriving at the University of Wisconsin and going to, to vet school and like helping you get prepared?
1: Yeah, marching band, honestly, is one of the most formative things I've done in my entire life, because it is a large time commitment. It is seven and a half hours of rehearsal a week minimum. Sometimes we would have supplemental things here and there. Sometimes we would have exhibitions that would take up your entire Friday or your entire Tuesday or whatever. And then game days, six, seven home games a year. And that's just your whole day blocked out, basically. So... I had to find a lot of time to get things done. A lot of people think of the term time management as, oh, I need to get all of my work done in a certain amount of time. And I need to work around my other commitments. But time management is such a bigger thing than that, because yes, work is important and you need to get that done. We also mean to manage time for your relationships with other people, for yourself, for sleeping And for just being a human being, because we can live in the society where I want to work 60 hours a week, and I have these other commitments, and I'm going to fit all of this 60 hours of work into 40 hours or whatever. But you need to really manage time for yourself. And that's something I've really learned and implemented in going to veterinary school, because veterinary school is a lot of work. You're doing a lot of studying, you are in a lot of class, there's a lot of information being thrown at you, and you do need to manage the time to be able to study and to be able to get all of your work done and be caught up on lectures and this, that, or the other. But you also need to budget in time to breathe and to do something you enjoy. For example, every Wednesday slash Monday since July, I play softball in a league, and I'd carve out that hour, hour and a half every week, regardless to be like, I'm going to go and do this thing I enjoy and not worry about it. And that's something that I think is really, really important. and something that veterinary students really need to understand is, yes, it is a lot of work, but work does not need to be your entire life.
0: Yeah. The ability to unplug and recharge is certainly important. Like you can't just grind yourself into the ground as far as like just never being off and have downtime. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting that you shared about your time at Iowa State was around the veterinarians without borders. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw there, how it affected you just a little bit? Because I thought that was a really interesting part of your journey there.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I actually, I was not a part of the pre-vet club in my undergrad. Instead, I decided to focus my attention on veterinarians without borders, Iowa State chapter, which is, it's you've heard of doctors without borders, you've heard of engineers without borders, effectively the same thing. It's international veterinary care advocating for veterinary health and veterinary medicine outside of the scope of our United States and North American borders. So I thought that group was really cool. I've always been really interested in travel, and I actually got to go on a trip. I hesitate to call it a mission trip because there's a lot of negative connotation with that, but it was a service trip to Nicaragua in which myself, as well as there are about seven or eight other undergrads from Iowa State- Uh, worked with these two local veterinarians to set up pop-up clinics in these incredibly underserved areas of Nicaragua where veterinary care literally does not exist. These people have all sorts of animals, but there's just no veterinarians for miles. They're very remote. A couple days we spent on Ometepe, which is an island in the middle of, I forget the name of the lake now, but it's very remote and it's very away from really quality medical care. So we would go and we'd set up in schools, we set up in barns, and we would just see people. And the amount of people that would come through every day was wild. I think a lot of misconception about veterinary medicine is, well, if you're poor or if you're impoverished, you shouldn't have a pet because if you can't take care of it, then what's the point of having it? And I think that is completely false and completely uh, really classist and not great way to look at things because the human animal bond is something that transcends class. It's something that transcends culture. And that's something I really saw in these people in Nicaragua because they would bring their dog who was, let's say, emaciated and just not looking super hot, probably had a couple of parasitic infections, not neutered, all these other things. But the first thing they did was bring them in. And if you're bringing an animal into veterinary care, regardless of the level of veterinary care, you care. And that's something that's really important. And something that really they don't talk about enough in school is if they're bringing them in in the first place, they at least care enough to do that. And you can work from there. Mm -hmm. So being able to see this really deep human-animal bond that these people had with their animals and the fact that they're willing to come to these people they've never met before, these people they have no idea if they're legit or not, and be like, hey, can you help my animal? And we would do that. We would do deworming. We would do physical exams. We would give them recommendations on what to feed their animals. And they were always so appreciative of everything. One of the coolest things we got to do, actually, is scrub into surgery surgery. Which there obviously is not a surgical suite in these pop-up clinics, but we would have a back room that typically had a window to give us natural light and maybe a couple headlamps because we didn't really have fancy lighting equipment when we're traveling around doing this veterinary care. And they let us scrub in with the surgeons and help with space and neuters. So we got to make cuts. They were directing us very intently, but they let us, you know, make the cuts. They let us do all this other things that were probably not legal in America, but. It was still very cool. So (laughs) I just thought it was a really awesome experience. And it really solidified my decision to pursue veterinary medicine by being able to see it in practice. Because I never worked in a veterinary clinic pre, I believe it was after my sophomore year of college, I finally started working in a vet clinic and I did that for three summers. But apart from that, I really had no direct veterinary experience. So I didn't know what it was really like. And being able to have that really intensive, elaborate, really unique experience with Vets Without Borders was very formative for me and really something that has inspired a lot of my passions within
0: the profession as well. The exposure moment of being there I've heard that from a couple different people now of talking about like just diversity within veterinary medicine and how do you bring that in and some of the challenges. And Dr. Tiara Price was on the podcast earlier and she talked about that. And I've had other people, even in financial services, not being very diverse. It's the same thing. It's the exposure, seeing other people that look like you that come from the same place as you, but also just seeing that you could actually do this as a career and profession for you having the ability to see this and actually hands on say, Oh, I actually do like this. This is something that fills my battery. It's not something that I look at as like work and it's just challenging. I don't like it, but this is fun. I enjoy it. I'm making a difference. I think trying to do more things like that to give exposure will help the profession so much to bring in more people. So that's a awesome experience. And I appreciate you sharing that where you're at today. What excites you? What motivates you outside of the podcast? Again, I know that's something that's really exciting, but as a second year student, like how do you look at that today? So it's kind of
1: challenging at the moment, right? Because we are living in this very disconnected, as funnily enough, we're the most connected we've ever been in our lives, but it feels very disconnected from the profession at the moment because basically everything we're doing is online. And second year is a very didactically intensive year. So it's a lot of nuts and bolts and a lot of rote memorization of pathogens and antibiotics and immune system mechanisms and all sorts of other things that, as I said earlier, might not necessarily be directly applicable to your job as a veterinarian, but are still very important. So I think the way that I've really stayed motivated and stayed excited about the profession outside of the podcast is I work at the Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital in Special Species. So I work with rabbits, rodents, reptiles, birds, marsupials, all sorts of very cool, very strange animals. And that's what I want to do with my life. At the current moment, if I had to choose right now, I'd want to do zoo companion animal medicine. So being able to go into work, even if it's five or ten hours a week, and get to be hands-on with these exotic animals that I really want to dedicate my career to and get hands-on and have these discussions with the doctors and learn about the cases and start to recognize common tropes and common diseases that each animal presents for has been really exciting for me and has really motivated me to want to continue to succeed in school because it's just very fascinating to get in. If you've never worked in special species, it can be very stressful because these animals can just keel over and die and you have no idea what happened. But it's a very fast paced and very interesting line of work because you're never going to see the same thing twice, unless it's GI stasis and a rabbit. But it's something that's really motivated me and really helped me stay Connected to the profession. Because I think that's something that a lot of people are struggling with as Zoom University vet students at the moment. It's just so hard to connect with the profession and to really see yourself doing anything that you think of as a traditional veterinarian, seeing clients or seeing animals. We would have, even though we weren't necessarily directly working with them during passing times or during breaks in normal vet school. We'd have the third years walking around with their junior surgery cats and dogs, or we would just have random people walking through the halls with their animals. And it was at least some sort of motivation where there's like, oh, there's a live animal. This is why I'm doing this. But it's been really hard to see that when we're just sitting in front of our computers eight, 10 hours a day. So yeah, I think just being able to get out and work and really connect with the profession on a physical level has been really, really big for me and really something that's just keeping me excited
0: about the profession and motivated to continue to do well in school. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And again, there's so much good stuff to take away from that answer of completely tangential, but also super important pieces of having that, you know, we talked about like unplugging, but also have time for yourself and still having that ability of community and staying engaged, because it is hard and everything does feel disconnected and weird. And and who knows when that changes. And I think that takes a toll on anybody. You can be the most social person or the most like, oh, I'm actually glad because I'm a little bit more passive. But even someone that is more passive and doesn't get charged up from interactions with others still could feel disconnected and start to be like, yeah, I do kind of miss some of those different things. Kind of as we wind down, one thing I always like to ask, and I'd love to hear your answer because I don't know this because I didn't really talk about it. But I always like to ask about like soapbox topics, things that you are passionate about, that you fired up, that maybe we haven't talked about, haven't touched on, that you want to share with other students, other veterinarians that may be tuning in and listening, like just anyone within the profession, something that you feel like needs to be talked about more.
1: Yeah, I love this because I have a lot of them, but one that I really want to stress and one that I think is really never talked about, it's mostly applicable to students, but it can also be applicable to those in the profession, whether you be a technician or a veterinarian or an assistant or anything is particularly when you look at your prototypical vet student, it is a type A, very career-driven, very academically successful, competitive student. And obviously, yeah, those traits all make a lot of sense because getting into vet school is very difficult. There are only 3,000 plus spots for tens of thousands of applicants. It is very hard to get in. And you work really, really hard in your undergrad. And a lot of vet students, at least pre-vet students, have this kind of take no prisoners. I need to do better than everybody else attitude. It's lone wolf, just me. And I don't care about anybody else. When you get to vet school, we're all here in the same place. And we are all working towards the same goal. All of us want to end with doctor before our name and DVM after our name. And a lot of people I feel like don't get out of that hyper competitive mindset. But when you get to vet school, really, if you want to be as successful as possible, you need to move from competition to collaboration because you are a community of 75 to 150, depending on the school, people who all have the same goals and all have gotten to the point where they're in school and just need to get out of school. And this takes some time to develop because there are certain students who may just have that really competitive mindset and need to do better than everybody else and have to have that greater than thou air to them. But I really think that if you want to get the most out of school, creating a community, collaborating with that community and utilizing that community so you are all successful is going to behoove you so much more than just going lone wolf and deciding that you just need to be better than everybody else and you're going to be better than everybody else. and You're going to have this very kind of stuck up and non-community driven mindset to yourself. So that's really something that I really want to stress. And that even transcends into the workplace. And it's not necessarily the same dynamic, but it is sometimes with veterinarians, they may think that they are just so much smarter than their technicians and they don't need to listen to a word that their technicians or even their junior doctors have to say to them. And that's that greater than thou energy that kind of you don't ever want to be wrong. And if you are wrong, then you will do everything in your power to defend it as opposed to accepting the fact that you're wrong. But it's okay to be wrong as long as you just don't make that same mistake again. It's okay to be wrong. And that's another thing that students and even professionals really I think, struggle with is being wrong. If you're going to be wrong, be loud about it. It's just like marching band. You know, if we are going to make a mistake, you're going to rip that E flat that's supposed to be an E natural. Rip it loud and don't do it again. Like, it's okay. It's something that can be fixed. It's something that can be built upon it. We are in this profession as lifelong learners. You're constantly going to be learning. That's why they make you do CE all the time. That's why they make you keep updated text in your Mm -hmm. clinic, all these other really important things. So just like be wrong and collaborate and create a community as opposed to pushing people away or trying to be competitive with people for no reason other than your own satisfaction. Like there's just so many bigger things to think about than I need to get a 97% because this person got a 96 or some other you know, stupid stuff like that. Just like be cool and be a community, be a team player. We're all going to get there.
0: We just need to work together on it. Yeah, I agree. And if you look at the statistics of all the different animals around the United States that need care, there's so much untapped potential. So if everyone does better at serving the growth, and we cited that number earlier, like it's going to grow. And if you're all good at what you do, you support each other. And you can build better relationships because of that. I think the collaboration versus competition in any industry makes it so much better. And you can still have healthy competition, but you can still collaborate and say, you know what, I need help on this and you're really good at that and then vice versa. And that should never go away. So I think that's sage advice. For those that are looking to connect with you, learn more about it, plug the podcast, plug all the stuff that you have going on.
1: Yeah. So if you'd like to find Tales from Vet School, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So you can give us a subscription and a follow there. I'm also on all the social medias. Uh, It's look up Tales from Vet School. It's T-A-I-L-S, by the way, because it's a pun, because I'm hilarious. But T-A-I-L-S from Vet School on Facebook. It's at Tails from Vet School on Instagram and then on Twitter it's at TFVS Podcast. If anyone wants to reach out to me via email to chat about any of the topics or talk about potential other topics, you can email me at tales, Tails, T A I L S, from Vet school at gmail.com. And yeah, I just look forward to hearing from people and my door is always open, you know, my DMs are always open. So if anyone wants to chat about anything, particularly if you're a prospective student who has questions about anything vet school, I've lived it for the past year and a quarter. So I have a pretty decent perspective on what the modern vet student experience is like. So yeah,
0: just reach out to me and I'd love to chat with y'all. We'll link to all those good places in the show notes. Blake, thank you so much for coming on, spend some time and sharing your story. A lot of great takeaways. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Isaiah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should now be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found. And Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to theveterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to theveterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you, you'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.